You are listening to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 45. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm Monica Louie, and I am bringing you another incredible interview. Today's guest is a husband, father, and successful e-commerce brand owner, and he's also the mastermind behind planning the extraordinary event where I was a keynote speaker at last year, Brand Accelerator Live. But first, if you're new to the podcast and don't know me yet, then welcome. I am Monica Louie, and I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist. And I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six and seven figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook ads, my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed $2 million in ad spend and served more than 700 students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. And while I teach a lot about Facebook and Instagram ads, the goal of this podcast is to discuss what it really takes to build a seven-figure online business. And that's why I love to bring you interviews with experts and successful business owners like my guests today. I am so excited to share with you my interview with Kevin Sanderson from MaximizingEcommerce.com. Kevin is a full-time e-commerce seller who also helps others grow their businesses. He is the host of the Maximizing E-Commerce podcast and YouTube channel, as well as the guy who put all the details together for Brand Accelerator Live, my good friend Scott Volker's event. I was so honored to be one of the main stage speakers at the event where 200 people came from all over the world to get together in Fort Worth, Texas last year to focus on growing their businesses in the coming year. And Kevin and I cover so much in this episode about Kevin's journey from growing his e-commerce business on the side of his day job to going out on his own full time. And we also dive deep into how he, along with Scott Volker, created Scott's first ever large scale live event. And at the end of this interview, I reveal some exciting news coming later this year. Can you guess what it is? All right, stick with me after the interview and I'll let you know how you can be the first to know when all the exciting details are revealed. But before we dive into the interview, I wanna make sure that you know that you can find all of the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 45. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E.com slash the number 45. All right, here's my interview with Kevin Sanderson from MaximizingEcommerce.com. Hey, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I am super excited about our conversation. Monica, I'm excited to be here. So it's great to chat with you again. I always love talking with you. And you and I, we met via Scott Volker. Uh, when he invited me to speak at Brand Accelerator Live. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about that. But to start off, we're going to get there later. To start off, I'd love to hear your story about building your business, how that all started. Because I'm always curious if people start off thinking they're going to be entrepreneurs and that's the life that they plan for. Or in Mm -hmm. some cases, they start down another path and things change. So I'd love to hear how you got into building your own business. So tell us who you are, what you do today, and then go back to how you got here. Sure, sure, sure. So I'm Kevin Sanderson. I have a uh, podcast and YouTube channel called Maximizing E-Commerce. Um, I help people uh, build e-commerce businesses that they can be proud of. And in addition to doing that, I also have an e-commerce business. And I left my job to do all this fun stuff and then also working with Scott on Brand Accelerator Live, left my job about a year ago. It's been actually just a little over a year as we record this. And it has been you know, a fun ride. And it's one of those things where it's like, we don't always know how we get from point A to point B, but we look back and we're like, how did I get here? So I remember as a kid, actually going door to door in my neighborhood with like 
trays of like Dixie cups with Kool-Aid in them and selling them for like a dime or something. Like might have actually lost money, but my mom didn't seem to care. And, you know, I think people probably did it, you know, bought it because, you know, it was like probably seven or eight. So what are they going to do? Tell a seven or eight year old, no, we're not going to buy from you. But fast forward, I went from kind of, let's say, having an entrepreneurial spirit to, you know, really deciding I wanted to climb the corporate ladder. And went to college, got out, worked for, you know, a couple companies, two of which Fortune 500 companies, just climbed that corporate ladder. And I just got to a point where within about a three-week span of time, I became a dad and I lost my dad because uh, my dad, unfortunately, passed away from a brain tumor. And it just had me questioning, am I on the right path? And I was really thinking about like, okay, is this where I want to go? And I, you know, as time went on, I started like diving into podcasts. This was around the time where I found out I could get an iPhone and there was all these things on there, brought me information. And one of them was the podcast app. And I remember finding some podcasts, one of which was Smart Passive Income, uh, you know, Pat Flynn. And I was listening to that and a whole bunch of podcasts and I was, became a entrepreneur, for lack of a better word. And for several years, I was just kind of wandering around thinking I want to do something, you know, testing out different things, but never really getting any traction. And one day, find out the company I was working for got bought out by a much larger company. And this is, I was in the hotel business at the time, working conventions. And I was managing a team of event managers. So if a, a group was hosting a conference, um, basically the people that I worked with, you know, my team is who they would have been working with. And it was sort of, I guess you could call it a middle management position. And that level didn't exist in the new company's structure. And so basically what happened was, I remember one day we got an email. Um, and this is several months after the new company took over and they hadn't touched the convention center where I worked at that hotel. And we got an email one day and they said, you know, mandatory meeting, 8 a.m. the following morning, the general manager had an announcement. So the person who was in charge of the hotel had an announcement and they sent this email out at like five in the afternoon. I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, this is the end of the world. So like everyone's like scurrying into each other's offices, trying to guess, you know, who's on the chopping block, what's going to happen, da, 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 da. So we go into this, it's like a ballroom because there's, you know, a couple hundred people there. And basically the whole story was that like the guest satisfaction scores on some survey that, you know, goes out customers of the hotel was like went up or something like that. And so they were kind of celebrating it. And I was like, oh, okay, so it must be okay. So I remember going back to my office and a few minutes later, tap, tap, tap on the door. My boss says, hey, can you come with me to a meeting with her boss? And I said, sure, no problem. And that happened all the time because, you know, it's the corporate world. We're having meetings about meetings, literally. Right. And we would go into the conference room. And I remember it clear as day. We opened up the door and there was at a conference table, her boss, as expected, and across the table was the head of human resources. And I just remember thinking, oh gosh, this can't be good. And they both kind of like tilted their head and had this smile. Kevin, have a seat. And I was like, oh boy. So basically, it was one of those things where my position was eliminated. And I had the opportunity to either apply for other positions in the company. And I think genuinely, they were going to try to find me a home or I could take a severance package. And I decided this is my chance to go do something a little different. And at the time, a friend of mine had an insurance agency and they were going through a growth period. And long story short, I ended up going to work for them and they went through rocket ship growth while they were there. And I was working really hard and I was friends with them. So I was seeing behind the curtain of what all is happening. And they're doing really well for themselves. I mean, I can't complain about my time. There was a great opportunity and really enjoyed what I was doing. But it just had me question, going back to the whole questioning thing of, okay, I'm working really hard for someone else's dreams. And I was seeing their dreams coming true. And it was you know happy for them. But at the same time too, it's like, well, if I'm going to work this hard for someone else's dreams, might as well be my own. So I went back to do what I did quite a bit. And that was looking on the podcast app for new podcasts. And I came to find the Amazing Seller podcast with Scott Volker. And at the time, he was really focusing on like, if you wanted to start selling on Amazon, here's the steps, how you pick a product, do all these things. 
he, I wouldn't say he's known for being the start on Amazon guy anymore, but at the time that was like really what his focus of a show was about. So I was listening to him and some other folks and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I remember going to Walgreens and buying some stuff that was on clearance and your listeners can do this if they're even thinking about selling on Amazon. You can download the Amazon seller app. You can get an individual selling account for free. And I bought some stuff at Goodwill. The stuff I bought at Walgreens, I should say, was on clearance. And I bought some other things you know, at various places, doing what we call retail arbitrage, where you buy something that's kind of on sale, but it could be sold on Amazon at a higher price. So I remember sending some stuff into Amazon and there's an app the seller app, where basically it tells you what your sales are. And I just kept remember seeing zero, 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 zero. And I got an email that the stuff had been checked in and the Amazon who's going to fulfill the items because the way it works on fulfillment by Amazon is if a customer buys something and it's in their warehouse as what they call FBA inventory fulfilled by Amazon, they ship it for you. And so I remember just waiting like once I got the email that they received my stuff that, you know, was going to be sold. I'm thinking like, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks, I'll get a sale or whatever. I remember like looking at the app and it went from a zero to a one. And I was just like, wait, something just happened here. And it's like, people always talk about like the first sale you make online. You know, just, you totally remember it forever. I was like, I can't believe this. Like just this rush of adrenaline. Like, I can't believe it. Someone just bought something. I have no idea who this person is that bought something. It was like one of those blue freezer packs. And I remember thinking like, I probably am actually losing money here, but I don't care because it like validated that I could put something up for sale and someone would buy it. And so I remember like running into the living room. And I was like showing my wife, you have to see this. And I like practically threw the phone at her. And I think she thought it was crazy at the moment, which it probably was a little uh, uh, crazy at the time. But she was excited for me when she realized what was going on. And then what I decided to do from there just to make kind of a long story short, was I took a season of earnings as a high school football official, which was happening right after that because this was summer 2015. So in the fall, I was uh, basically, you know, the zebras as we would sometimes be referred to, you know, with a yellow flag in American style football. I uh, took what I made doing that and invested that into my first product and then just kept reinvesting and so on and so forth and ended up leaving my job about a year ago so about 3 years into it and you know now basically I do that brand accelerator live and then I uh, also you know have some services where I help people that want to go from Amazon in the US into some of Amazon's international marketplaces because there's a few hoops you have to jump through and not everybody's necessarily sure how to do that or necessarily wants to do it but I do it for them. So that's basically what I'm doing these days. That's an awesome story. I really appreciate you sharing that. So, Thank gosh, you. okay. So, congratulations. <laughs> One year into full time entrepreneurship. That's exciting. And yes. then all of these twists and turns through your career mm-hmm. and then getting let go and with the severance package and, you know, having an opportunity there, but deciding to go another path. How was that for your family? I mean, was I can just imagine, you know, your income and then things changing. Like, can you just talk a little bit about that experience and and like conversations that maybe you and your wife had about like, did you go back and forth or was it an easy like, no, I'm going to find a new path? Yeah, so the nice thing was they gave me 2 weeks to sign off either on a severance package or apply for another job. So like I wasn't officially terminated for 2 weeks although it was like I didn't have to go into the office. So I had 2 weeks to decide. So it gave me some time to reflect and whatnot and the insurance agency that I worked for is uh closer to West Palm Beach and at the time I was living in Orlando. Now I live local to that insurance agency. But I remember thinking like okay, what can I do? So it was kind of like almost like a a blessing in disguise because it was a transition from salaried corporate world with, if you do a good job, we'll give you instead of a 3% raise, a 4% raise. And you know maybe I get like a, a small bonus at the end of the year to being in a, an insurance environment where I was doing training and recruiting of insurance agents and it was management. But the way it was structured in that world, it was a lot more performance-based than what I was used to. So that had me, I guess being able to transition a little bit more in my mindset towards not necessarily guaranteed paycheck, but that there's sometimes the value of 
being able to take that risk, so to speak. So my wife was very supportive. My wife is a definitely has got a little bit of an entrepreneurial bend in her as well. And it was the right thing at the right time. So I think sometimes things come into our path that at the time may seem scary or we're not 100% sure if this is even going to work. But sometimes when we look back on it, we say, okay, that was almost divinely inspired. In some ways, right. I feel that about that situation. So then as you worked for the insurance agency and you started this on the side, mm-hmm. what did your schedule look like? Like, How much time were you investing on the side growing your e-commerce business? Yes. So... <laughs> Because um, I'm curious because you have a young family, you oh, know, yeah. and so all these, you know, different obligations, but you're growing this on the side and you grew it enough to where you could then, you know, make it your full-time thing three years later. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. And so one of the things that was kind of crazy about it was the two have similar the both because it was health insurance that we were selling. And the way health insurance works nowadays is that for the most part, if someone's buying an individual health insurance plan they're buying it during what's called an open enrollment period, which is generally in the fall, like November. Now it's like November and December. And at the same time, that's also when e-commerce is super busy because if something is a giftable product, people are buying lots of that during the holiday season. So it would get kind of nuts during those time periods because sometimes there's a little bit of a conflict. So it was all about really... What I learned there was setting up systems and thinking a little bit more long-term of what's coming up between the two because oftentimes there were lulls in that job where you know it was like a really slow period and I was still working you know full-time hours but I didn't have as much I guess you could say stress and focus I had to put into the job where I'm kind of like bringing it home so to speak that I could spend more time focusing on okay sourcing new products figuring out what my inventory levels are going to need to be there and some of it too, just in general, was just learning to be very laser focused with my time because, you know, maybe I had after the kids went to bed, maybe from 8.30 to 10.30 or something like that, I could work on the business. And the nice thing is because I wasn't having to put things in boxes and send them to the individual customers, that was a benefit. So it was one of those things where it goes back to, I think, you know, the whole saying, God bless the broken road. That in there, what I learned was just managing my time better. Because to your point, there wasn't a lot of marginal time. So how did you organize? Like, What was the most important thing? Because I kind of feel like as entrepreneurs, there's always so many things and so Mm. many ideas that we can jump on. And so how did you stay focused on this is the best use of my two hours today? Definitely made a lot of huge mistakes along the way. With that of you know sometimes chasing after butterflies and e-commerce, there's a lot of them. You know, one of the things is I think just about everybody that sells on Amazon thinks of it as like, okay, I have all of my eggs in one basket, so I want to do more. So everybody wants to think about you know widening the net, so to speak, and trying other things like maybe building their own Shopify store, which you know you're now responsible for sending traffic to because people aren't just going to find it on the internet because it's basically the same thing as like having a blog. It's like Google doesn't just bring you people right away. And at the same time, too, like trying things like Etsy and eBay and some other, you know, marketplaces that, you know, had varying levels of success at all. And what I found actually for me was benefiting me the most in expanding was bringing on new products. And then also Amazon has, as I was saying before, international marketplaces. If you're willing to jump through some hoops, there's oftentimes less competition. The sales aren't as high as Amazon in the US, but it's, more sales for basically just copying over what your listings are, which you know, you'd be your product pages and sending in some inventory into those individual countries. And I was finding that's where I was getting the best return on my time was just basically expanding Amazon both within the US and outside the US and finding more products. And I was finding what was working for me was I had a couple product families, I guess you could say. And it was just finding more versions of those type of products or things within my existing suppliers that I could sell because that way, I wasn't having to find new suppliers and things like that. So I found some suppliers I was having good luck with. And I just kept finding new products within what they're already selling that I could sell. 
So it sounds like you focused on diversification of products, but then also going expanding into the international marketplaces kind of gave you a little bit of leverage too. Exactly, exactly. And it was just taking what I made and putting it back into it. Because with physical products, the challenge is, yeah, you've got money coming back, but at the same time too, you have to buy more inventory to be able to have more money coming back. So it gets to be a cycle. And then as you're growing, it can be tough too. So it was pretty much about two and a half years before I even took any money off the table. So what did that look like when you started to make that adjustment? I mean, was it just like there was so much that you couldn't put all of it toward the inventory or you made that conscious decision that if I'm going to quit my job, I need to start paying myself? How did that decision come about? That's pretty much what it was. So I was going to start paying myself a portion of it. I was seeing the writing on the wall in the business I was in that... It's like at the time, there was changes in health insurance. So there was, uh, I guess, the glory days, so to speak, of where I was at. And I was seeing that the writing on the wall was the margins in that world were getting to be smaller. So some of my incentives were probably over time going to become less. So... I was starting to plan on, okay, that's probably going to happen. And so then I started you know, taking some money off the table there. And then to your point, it was like uh, one of those things where it was just, okay, I'm going to have to set a date. So if I'm going to start taking money off the table now, at least I can get used to it and make sure the, the business can still survive. So then pretty much took all the other chips, put it on the table and really went bang out for that holiday season 2018. And then... When that was over, I left the job. And then here we are about a year later. Very cool. Well, congratulations on that. Thank um, you. Okay. So then along the way, you were not only a listener of Scott Volker from The Amazing Seller, but then you actually got connected with him so much mm-hmm. so that he put you in charge of planning the entire Brand Accelerator Live conference, which was an amazing conference, over 200 people in attendance. And it was such a fun experience for me as one of the speakers there. But so how did your connection to Scott grow beyond just being a podcast listener? Yeah. So it's one of those things that in the online space, it doesn't matter if you're Amazon or something else. It really comes down to relationships. Everything in business is relationships. People are more comfortable with people that they've met. And I think too, another thing which I didn't mention earlier was I started going to some live events because I was finding when I was in the hotel world, everyone around me was in the hotel world. And so maybe they'd leave the hotel I was at and they would go to like the Hilton or something like that. Like, you know, people stayed in that world. So that world was very real to them. And you're you are the five people you spend the most time with. So if you're around hundreds of people and they're all doing the same thing, then that's very real to you. And then when I was in the insurance business, everybody was in insurance and that was very real. And so I was finding a lot of just the whole mindset shift when I'd go to live events and you'd meet people and like some of them were really crushing it. And you start meeting people at varying levels, you know, people that are you know, totally crushing it to people that are just getting started. And one side of the equation, I'm really inspired by like, wow, I want to be like that person one day. And then on the other side of the equation, it's you start realizing like how far along you've come when you meet these people that they're just getting started and you know they're like looking to you for questions. Or they're looking for me for questions. And they do this, this happens in general in this world. And through that, I just started meeting people. And before I went to this one event called Seller Summit, I had found an email I had sent to Scott Volker actually right after I sold one of my first products, my own branded products. And the interesting thing was I forwarded to him and I said, Hey, at the time I would had like, let's say eight products up for sale and it was in the US, Canada, UK and Germany or something like that. And I told him that I basically took a season's worth of earnings as a high school football official. And that's what I put into my first product. And then I met him and he remembered my email. And he thought it was cool that like a year and a half earlier, I had emailed him as well because that was in the email chain. And so we kind of hit it off. And then I saw him at a couple other live events. And basically, we're talking. And like I was saying earlier, he was known for being the kind of start on Amazon guy. 
he didn't want to long-term be the start on Amazon guy. He wanted to more help people in that intermediate to advanced range. So I remember going back to my hotel room and thinking, he should be the person that holds an event like this. I'm sure you know his audience would really benefit from him. And I was thinking, well, I used to work in conventions. I used to manage conventions. I used to manage people that manage conventions. So why don't I see if he'd be interested in working with me on it? So I remember going to him. So doubts started creeping into my head of, well, who are you to ask him? He's just going to say no. Or maybe he's going to be mad at you. Or, you know, the silly stuff that, you know, comes into our mind. And I, I remember kind of going back and forth on it. Should I ask him if he wants to do this? Da, 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 da. And so I was like, I remember emailing him, hey, Scott, I have this idea. If you're interested in finding out more, he's like, sure, why not? I mean, at this point, I'd been on his podcast. I'd met him several times. You know, he knows me by name. So it's not like I'm just emailing him out of the blue, you know, some stranger. But still in my head, I was thinking, well, who are you to do this? Even though like this was the life I used to live was conventions. And so when I told him my idea, he's like, okay, well, let's talk more about it. And so we figured out like a budget and, you know, worked with some contacts I have in the industry. And then we got a contract at the Hilton in Fort Worth. And so then it's like, okay, wow, this is actually happening. And then, you know, lo and behold, as you were there and you did a phenomenal job as a speaker, and we had about 200 people there and it was a blast. And, you know, it was one of those things like I realized like these people wouldn't be here in this room and they all seem to be having a good time if I didn't take the quote unquote risk to ask Scott and present my idea. You know, it's like I would have cheated you out of that opportunity to go there. I would have been cheated out of the attendees. The sponsors wouldn't have gotten to know the attendees. You know, all these people wouldn't have had that experience if I was selfish enough to not at least present my idea. So I love that. I mean, just thinking about, I had an amazing time meeting everybody. I mean, from the meeting all the speakers and building relationships with them to mm -hmm. meeting the attendees and building relationships with many of them. And just thinking about, you know, the business connections that came from that one event. So that one question that you decided, okay, I'm just going to ask, you know, led to so many things that you'll never know the full extent of what right. resulted from that, right? But so many, I mean, probably new brands and new businesses and new, you know, partnerships and joint ventures are coming from that event. And then now I know you guys are going to do it again. So mm -hmm. anyways, and what you said about the power of live events, I've seen that in my own journey as well. I mean, that's something that I look back to, like how my business has grown so fast over the last few years. Many of it comes back to the fact that I met people in real life at live events. And that's how I got connected with Pat Flynn, which is how I got mm -hmm. connected with Scott Volker and, and then you and many of my clients. And so I am totally with you. I mean, for those... If you aren't attending live events, absolutely make it a priority because that's a great way to connect. And you never know. You can't even foresee what could come out of meeting somebody in person. But that's how you build those stronger relationships, as you said. Okay. So you put out this crazy idea via email to Scott and he says, yeah, let's chat about it. And then from there, like, what did the plan look like? How did you kind of... When he said, yeah, let's make this happen, or was it more like... You know, well, let me see. You know what the costs are going to be to kind of like put deposits out, or what did that first step look like? Yeah, so a lot of it first was figuring out like costs, because having been in that world, I know that that costs are something that can get away very quickly. Generally speaking, there's three big costs in running a conference, and that would be you have what's called a room block. Because a hotel, if they're going to say, okay, we're going to give you X amount of ballroom space or conference space, we want you to fill a certain number of room nights. And even though other people are paying for them, we're still on the hook for a certain percentage of what they're holding for us becomes like actually there. And like th those people have to show up and pay for those rooms. So it's one of those things like, okay, we have to figure out like, okay, 
legitimately how many people could come? What would that look like? What percentage of them would be? So we, we ended up paying for rooms for speakers and staff and you know, a few other people. So we had to figure out like, okay, beyond that, how many more rooms do we have to pick up in order to you know, not have to write a check at the end? And then there's also what's called a food and beverage minimum. And that means, in addition to the rooms you're responsible for, that's the other big thing for the hotel is you have catered functions. So like, you know, we had a, lunch, a couple lunches, we had a couple of receptions, we're buying drinks and things of that nature. So we had to spend a certain amount. So that, again, they didn't give us a bill for you owe us, you know, $10,000 because you didn't spend enough. So it's almost like whatever the food and beverage minimum is pretty much a, that's a hard cost. And then the other one, which can get away very quickly, is audiovisual. So I had reached out to a couple of companies that I knew of that did audiovisual, and they were all way more expensive than we were willing to pay for. And I ended up going to this awards conference in the insurance business. And the funny thing was, I just happened to walk up to the tech table to the company that was doing the audiovisual, and I said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing a conference with someone. And this was very much like we were like in this very preliminary stage. And it was this company out of Jacksonville, Florida. And, you know, they had good references. And, you know, the company that in this insurance company, you know, is a very large nine-figure company. So I figured like, okay, if they're going to use them and they use them consistently, they must do a good job. And we ended up working with them because their prices were reasonable for what they were doing. So it was one of those things where I'm glad I had another personal connection and I wouldn't have had that connection if I hadn't been at that awards conference in the insurance business, which, you know, again, it's like the power of connection. You don't know until you actually meet people. But I would say that's the big three costs with an event. So to answer your question, we figured out, okay, what do the costs look like? How much would we have to have in sponsorships and in ticket costs to make it happen? And you know, the funny thing is you can get really excited over what's on a spreadsheet, but you don't know if that's actually going to happen. So we ended up saying, okay, let's do it. So we get the terms that make sense for us that at least we feel are reasonable that we could get enough people there to fill the room nights and the food and beverage to meet our costs, to meet the cost of the audiovisual. And, and by audiovisual, I mean like, you know, the speakers like you know the audio speakers and the stage decor and the projectors and camera crew and all that fun stuff and then lo and behold contract is signed with the hotel and the audio visual company and at that point we got to make it happen so it was now we got to bring them there <laughs> so then how did you decide like how far out or was it more of like determined by scheduling with the hotel when they would have the ballroom and, and the splucker rooms available. Like how far in advance are you planning this and you know looking at the possibility of doing the event and then signing the contract? Great question. So knowing what I know of the hotel business, what we decided was we looked at a couple different factors to pick the date was one, I know that from having been in that world, that the peak times with conferences in general tend to be opposite of peak times of people going on vacation. So the reason for that is, is meeting planners don't like to have their conferences, like let's say over Christmas break, because you know if the kids are out of school, why would people go to a conference when you know, they uh, could go with their kids you know, on vacation? So what we were looking at, we're like, okay, not to that level of extreme, like we wouldn't want to do it over Christmas break. But what are some times that I knew were kind of like those gray area times? And some of that I think is right before and right after the summer. So May and September. And I remember thinking like, okay, what else is happening in the e-commerce world? Now, Seller Summit, this one event where that's the event I met Scott. We had a great relationship with Steve Chu and Tony Anderson, who were also speakers at Brand Accelerator. And we didn't want to compete with them. So we wanted to have enough gap in between. So we're like, okay, September makes sense. So then we started thinking, okay, where do we want to have it? Because that's the next question is the where. And I live in Florida. And I can tell you three of the last four years, I've had to put up these hurricane shutters over my windows because we've had threats of hurricanes. None of them have really 
come to fruition like you know they're forecasted. But I know the state of Florida pretty much shuts down if you know there's any hint that a hurricane might be coming, and people just start canceling flights. The airlines cancel flights. There's some protections and contracts, but it would just be a disaster if we were holding a conference in September in the peak of hurricane season, and a hurricane came through. So we're like, okay, let's go someplace a little more inland. So we decided to look at Texas. And so we looked at, you know, some cities in Texas and some folks that I used to work with in the hotel business started their own company where they do sourcing. So they're almost like a travel agent, but for groups. And so they get a commission from the hotel. We didn't have to pay them anything to do it. And they helped us negotiate the contract. And so what they do is they reach out to the hotels in the area and there's software tools that they have as well as other tools where basically it's, it's like sourcing. It's like basically, this is the group, this is the rough size, these are some details on it. Do you as a hotel want to, what they say, bid for it? And so they say yes or no. And then we basically start looking at like, okay, this hotel is saying that they want it, but maybe their room rates are too high or they want us to pay too much in food and beverage or something in the terms, like we're not even in the ballpark. Or some others, it's like, okay, their space isn't going to work because I know that sometimes to get people to sign contracts in the hotel world, you know, they'll just say like, oh yeah, it'll fit in there, da, 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 da. So, you know, I wouldn't make sure that like we had a diagram to make sure like it actually would work in that actual space. And so when we started narrowing it down to like, okay, here's some hotels that would work. And we were down to hotels in Fort Worth and San Antonio. And we ended up picking the Hilton in Fort Worth because, you know, they had the space available. And it was just one of those things where it was like, it kind of fit like a glove for our size group. So it worked out. I thought it was an incredible event space and it was a historic space too, which was pretty cool. And I mean, I think the event went off without a hitch. So kudos to you for planning, I mean, all the details and everything that goes in. I I mean, just boggles my mind to think about all that has to come together for an event of that size to run smoothly. So you did a fantastic job with all the pieces. Thank you. So you, once you have the event space and then it's time to start promoting it and actually selling tickets or is there a step in between before we get to selling? No, that's pretty much it. So we didn't want to start selling until we had a contract because we didn't want to have to go back and say, oh, the dates are different or actually we're going to be in a different city. Never mind. So we waited until we at least had the contract signed. And you know, it takes a little while in negotiations with the hotel to do that because it's it's a pretty big contract and it's pretty binding in their favor. And understandably so, because if they're going to be holding a block of space and rooms and turning away other groups that might be interested in those dates, they want to make sure it's you know to their benefit to do so. So at that point, now that we've got the contract, and so it's pretty binding really on both parties, it became, okay, now how do we start promoting it? So what Scott did was, you know, I came on his podcast, we announced it, and he did a little bit of teasing up to it that he was working on a project. You know, couldn't talk about it yet. So then when he got to the point of being able to talk about it, you know, we had people sign up for pre-list, and then you know, people on that list. Some of them ended up buying tickets. And then what we found was we announced it about a year out, and you know, we had no idea we're going to sell out in minutes or whatever the case is. But what we came to learn, and this is really common, the bulk of the sales actually come about a month to three months out. That's scary, <laughs> you know, when you're like, uh, is this going to work? So it's like, it's Scott's the one who had his, you know, name on the contract. It was more just like, it was more my reputation on the line with him. And I didn't want to, you know, let him down. But we ended up, it was, we were in the black. So we were profitable that first year. And, you know, that doesn't always happen with first year events. And, you know, the nice thing is it was a, a great community tool. But to answer your question, it comes down to you really have to work hard to sell it, especially because we were selling more of an idea. Whereas this year, we actually have footage and pictures and testimonials and not just like, hey, it's going to be great. We promise. <laughs> Well, and it was great. And your photographers and videographers, I mean, they were phenomenal. Like I've seen some of the footage and the videos that they put together. And of course, the pictures. I mean, 
it was incredible. And they really captured the energy of the event, which I feel like that's a big challenge to capture that kind of live energy in a video, but they did a fantastic job. So I'd love to link to that video if we can. If you have it posted somewhere that I can link to, we'll put that in the show notes. So people yes, can get a I'll, sense I'll have for to see it. if I can get a, a hold of the uh, where it's hosted. But okay. um, yes, yes. I think if they at least go to brandacceleratorlive.com, it might be on there. But Perfect. we'll have to double check that. But yeah, I'm glad you you like the videographers. The funny story was we had a videographer, someone we knew, it was a personal relationship. And he ended up getting like a dream job. And unfortunately, the dates conflicted. And so he no longer could work with us. And so it was like last minute thing. So we were kind of scrambling. He was kind enough to recommend us someone. And we looked into this guy's work and the guy did a good job. But we're like, we didn't really know this other person. So we're like, let's look around just to see what else is out there. So we looked into some local folks and we found a guy who was a videographer and that's the one we ended up choosing. And I'm sure some of your listeners are probably familiar with Eric Thomas. He's a motivational speaker, he almost sounds like he's yelling all the time, but like he gets you hyped up and excited. So if you ever uh, are on YouTube, look up Eric Thomas. You've probably heard him in some motivational video if you're into that kind of stuff. But Eric Thomas had some conference of some sort in Dallas and this videographer had done work for Eric Thomas. So when he said like, here's some work you can check out, we're like, oh, wow, this is perfect. Like the guy's work was amazing. So we ended up... Uh, working with them. But it goes back to, you don't always know some of the things that are going to happen. And even though we kind of lost out on something that was a personal relationship where I'm sure the guy would have done a fantastic job, something else ended up working out in the end. And, you know, there it was this, his testimonial was basically his work from the past. So when it comes to pricing and determining the prices, I know just by following along, you know, leading up to the event, there were, you know, there's like early bird pricing. And I think this is fairly common for a lot of the the big events mm-hmm. where there's like super early bird pricing, then early bird pricing, and then some other kind of pricing and then the final event pricing. And so how do you plan out what the pricing tiers are going to be and then when those timeframes are going to occur? Great question. And some of it was we kind of had targets of like, okay, here's about when we'll probably change it. And then because you do have to have some level of scarcity. And scarcity is, you know, one, there's only so many tickets. Two, when you start getting closer, that you have scarcity of time because they have to basically decide, okay, I'm going to do this or I'm not. But along the way, you know, if you can increase your price in increments, then what ends up happening is, you know, hey, we're going to raise price. People don't like paying more. So if they're on the fence, oftentimes they'll jump in and do it. And then every now and then you actually end up selling some tickets right after the price increase because then people think like, oh, okay, well, they're probably going to raise pricing again. So I don't want to forget about it. So I'll just get it now. But some of it was pricing tiers. We learned some things along the way. We are going to change some things of how we price like general admission versus VIP because we had you know different levels of tickets. What we learned was for VIP experience, people were willing to pay a little bit extra than necessarily our original market was. So that would be one thing we'd be looking at. Because as long as we're delivering on the value of a great VIP experience and we got nothing but praise for people that had VIP tickets and really branded, or the general admission tickets too. But we started looking at it as, okay, as long as we're creating a great experience for VIPs, the pricing is going to be a little different this year. I'll just say that. And so general admission basically includes you get a ticket to the event. And mm-hmm. then at least... And I know every conference is different, but this right. event, then there was VIP. So what did the VIPs get that was a little bit extra? I know there was a VIP like happy hour with the speakers. What else was included with the VIP for at least last year's Brand Accelerator Live? Yes. So one of the things that we realized very quickly is people that are willing to pay a little bit higher for an experience, not everybody, but a lot of people like to be recognized for it. And it doesn't have to be a huge thing. So we made sure that it was like in big red background, you know, bold letters that said VIP on their badges. So they got that. They got early access to the room. So that way they get first choice of seating. So some conferences block off seats. We had thought about that, but it's a logistical challenge trying to figure out which seats to block off and how many and all that because not everybody shows up to every 
speaker. Some people just will sit in the back no matter what, even if they paid for VIP. So it's like, let's just let them have access, earlier access to the room. So that way they can just pick the seat they want, which naturally ends up being most of them end up seating towards the front of the room because they're paying for a little bit more for that experience and they want to be a little bit closer. And then to your point, we also had a networking reception and a networking lunch for VIPs. So it was one of the things is they also got more access to speakers and sponsors through those two functions. And they also got the recognition and the early access to the rooms is the big thing. And for a lot of people, that was a, a huge thing. And in addition, you also had one day, was it one day of masterminds where you had to basically qualify in order to participate in those masterminds? Yes. And then on the, the tail end, we had masterminds. We had two different masterminds, depending on their level of sales, where they could sign up for a mastermind. And that was a, they also were VIPs, but it was like a, the mastermind ticket was a different tier. And those folks, you know, basically sit them in a room and then go, everybody has a chance to go, we go around the room and we solve everybody's problems. And the nice thing is, is that when you have people in a room, it's one thing when you're in the room together in the conference and you're part of the energy and you get all excited and you make new acquaintances. And, you know, I know that there's masterminds that are happening months after the fact now of people that met at the event. But there's something that's also magical of getting people in the room that you know they're all vetted at at least a certain level of sales. And that also, you know, they're willing to pay a little bit extra to be in the room. So those people get a lot out of that connection. And I know a lot of those people still keep in contact with one another because they have the opportunity to talk to someone they know is at a certain level. Because what ends up happening in entrepreneurship is we've all been there. We start off, you know, we're going to like Facebook groups and forums. We have no idea who's who. And sometimes people with the loudest voices are not necessarily the most knowledgeable. And so anyone that's willing to go to a, a conference and invest, you know, three, four days of their life, the money to go there, you know, pay for a hotel room, airfare, whatever, you know, that's a higher level person that's more engaged in it. And then someone that's going to go the next level and then also pay to be in a mastermind room, you know, that's someone really, really to listen to. And someone is great to keep in contact with as well. So for those people that were in that room, it was great. And I've personally found whenever I'm in a mastermind, it's worth the price of admission. Just if anything, to be around the other people in the group. Absolutely. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I wanted you to share all that because, you know, for the listeners who are thinking about maybe doing a live event, I feel like it's a great community builder. And you even mentioned that, but it can be a great way to bring your people together because so many times, I mean, we're building these online businesses and growing our audiences, but it can feel very spread out. <laughs> and so, and right. kind of like intangible, you know, that like we're podcasters and we're speaking into microphone, but we can't really, you know, while we're connecting with our audience via our voice, we're not there to see their experience of receiving, you know, and listening to the podcast episode. So when you bring people together in a room, I mean, that's where you can really create that community in person and really see mm -hmm. the effect. So I'd love to hear, you know, since it's been a few months now, as we're recording this, since Brand Accelerator Live, like what has been, you know, some of the benefits to the brand? And I know you guys have already committed to doing it again. So obviously, you thought it was a great experience as, you know, as much as I did, if not more. And so what have been kind of some of the benefits of doing this? Maybe some of the unexpected benefits? Yeah, great question. So I'll answer that, I guess... Twofold, one for Scott and one for myself. For Scott, he now has what he, he's calling his Brand Creators Academy. And so it's people that are looking to build a brand, like not just like I want to build a business on Amazon and sell products, but they want to build a brand around it. And whether that's they start off on Amazon and then expand off Amazon and build a brand that way, or they start off by maybe having a content site and then kind of like, Alex Jimenez had done where she started her content site and then eventually went into physical products. So basically, he's able to help people in both directions there because a lot of the content for that worked with it. So for Scott, the benefit was, I think one, it was able to help him kind of get his 
vision of where he wanted to go a little bit more dialed in. And it helped too, because now who are the first people that were raising their hands saying, I want to be part of this Brand Creators Academy? It's the people that were engaged with Brand Accelerator Live. And you know, we didn't pitch Brand Creators Academy at the event. It was one of those things he ended up rolling out soon afterwards. But some of the first people in that group in this academy are the people that were in that were attendees of Brand Accelerator Live because it goes back to if you're going to invest the time and the money and the effort to go to a conference, you're going to also accept the knowledge that's being given to you more so than if you're just reading it in Facebook groups or a blog post or even hearing it on a podcast. So it's one of those things where like those people were so engaged, they were the first ones to join in. So that was a benefit to Scott. And then I think one of the more unexpected things was, and I don't want to speak for him, but knowing what it's like, you know, talking into an empty microphone, even when you have one other person on the line, so to speak, like you and I are talking right now, you don't know about all the people that it's reaching. And Scott has a very large reach. And, you know, it can be one of those things you don't know what it's like on the other end. And he just had this outpouring of people that are, you know, right there. They're, you know, talking about how like their lives were changed by like listening to his podcasts. And, you know, he started realizing like, oh, wow, I really am making a difference. And it's one of those things like we might look at someone like Scott Volker and say like, oh, he always knows he's making a difference. Well, you know, he's a human being. So sometimes we got to be reminded. And so I think it was a good reminder for him to see the faces and not just like emails or whatever, but like the faces of people who, you know, were part of that, you know, his brand, so to speak, that were excited. And then for myself, you know, it's been great because I've gotten to network with lots of people as well. I've gotten to know Scott on a personal level. I'd call him a, you know, a good friend at this point. And I've gotten to know lots of other people in this space that I might not have gotten to know, such as yourself, if I hadn't had worked this conference. And so I think it goes one of those things where it's like, I kind of created my own networking opportunity by working in this conference. And so it's, it's helped me in a lot of ways too. So anytime you can connect with people and it's face-to-face, it's beneficial. So you know, if someone's thinking, listening thing, well, maybe I do want to do something. You don't have to sign you know, this huge binding contract a year out with you know, a hotel. You could do a local meetup on meetup.com and meet at Starbucks or something, you know, with like-minded people and start there and then, you know, build it up from there. So really for me was cemented what I already knew, the value in getting to know people personally, face-to-face at live events. And then it was interesting for me just seeing it now on the other end. I'd been on the hotel end where you're kind of watching it happen because I always see these conferences, you know, coming through. But then now actually getting to see it happening live with the conference that I was, you know, involved in the creation of, I thought was pretty cool of getting to see, you know, people there and the benefits they're getting out of it. And then it's been very satisfying for me to hear the feedback of like, oh, was, you know, the conference is great and things like that. Cause I really did put a lot of my own emotion and heart and soul into it. So it was good to know that, you know, it was well received by people. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I I have so many questions. I could keep picking your brain all day. Sure. But I want to be respectful of your time. And so I think that this is a fantastic way to, as you said, meet your audience. I know that that was huge for Scott. And there were a lot of people who he had interviewed on his podcast and Mm -hmm. that he got to meet in person. And a lot of great stories of people who were, you know, I mean, as you said, their lives have changed by implementing what he teaches on the podcast. And so I'm actually planning on doing my first live event, not at that scale, but it's going to be a smaller scale this year. So stay tuned for details about that. But I know that you guys are planning Brand Accelerator Live 2. Are you calling it 2 or 2020? What is the official name for this year's event? Oh, I don't think we've... uh... We've gone that far. We're just basically calling it Brand Accelerator Live, I guess. So I guess it would be Brand Accelerator Live 2020. Awesome. And do you have any details yet that we can share about when or where that's going to be? Well, we haven't officially announced it to the public. We've announced it to people that are alumni of the group. So 
I will let Scott be the one to announce the exact dates and location, but I will say it'll be in September and it'll be in a town that starts with Cha and ends with Arlet. So... (laughs) All right. Well, we'll stop the tease there. So, um, but... (laughs) We'll definitely be linking up so you can find the details for when it is officially announced. Yeah, so uh, it might be notes. it might be alive by the time this airs, so people can go to brainacceleratorlive.com and check it out. Perfect. Perfect. And Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Please let us know where people can find you. I know you've got a podcast and the YouTube channel, so please share all the places where people can go check you out. Absolutely. I have a podcast and a YouTube channel called Maximizing E-Commerce. And as we were chatting before we hit record, I was actually just looking at iTunes this afternoon. And in iTunes, underneath a podcast, it says listeners who subscribe to this also subscribe to. And then it shows like a list of podcasts. And, you know, of course, with my show, there's a lot of e-commerce and Amazon related shows. And then there was Flourish to Seven Figures with Monica Louie. And I was like, oh, wait. And then I looked on yours and then maximizing e-commerce was one of those on there too. So some people listening, hello. And uh, I'm glad to uh, be uh, speaking to you from another podcast uh, who are you know, listeners of my show and those of, who are not. If you're listening and you decide to uh, listen to an e-commerce show, you will not be alone from the uh, Flourish world. Awesome. Yay. Well, any parting words, Kevin? Just keep taking action. Try things. We all, and I know we didn't really get into this, but well, I guess we did get into this a little bit. And what I was about to say is the head trash that goes on in our head of like, we can't do that. Who are you to try something? Da, 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 that oftentimes, if we give into that, we're cheating other people. So as I was saying, like, it wasn't just about me and what I wanted to do of like, hey, we could work with Scott on this event. The 200 people that were there they wouldn't have had the opportunity to go there if I didn't take the risk. So whether it's sooner people at a live event or whatever. So if you're listening to this and there's something you really want to do, and as long as you're not just chasing after shiny objects and you know deep down inside it's the right thing to do, try it. Don't listen to those voices. Rule your head or it will rule you. Love it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and all that you shared with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. I want to give a huge thank you once again to Kevin for coming on the podcast and sharing his journey and all of his insights about planning a live event with us. And as I mentioned, I am planning my first ever live event for later this year, and I am just so excited. Now, this will not be a 200% conference. This is actually going to be an intimate live in-person workshop with a small number of people who want to work with me on their Facebook ad strategy. We are going to work together to plan your campaign. And by the end of the event, you'll be hitting publish on your profitable campaign that I've personally helped you create. We're going to cap this workshop at 15 people so that everyone can get the attention and feedback they need. See, I told you it was going to be small and intimate. Now, my team and I are still working out the details as to where this is happening and when, but if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, then join the waitlist at monicalouie.com slash live, and you will be the first to know. Plus, you'll have the opportunity to get in on the early bird ticket pricing once everything is revealed. And that link, once again, is monicalouie.com slash live. And remember, you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at monicalouie.com slash 45. Thank you so much for joining Kevin and me today. If you are ready to scale your business with Facebook ads, then I invite you to check out my free Facebook ad starter kit. And you can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. The starter kit takes you through the six steps to creating campaigns that convert. Plus, there's a pretty awesome checklist at the end so that you can make sure you've got everything you need before you jump into the ads manager. And if you're like me, then you can appreciate a good checklist. And if you're interested in learning more about how my team and I might be able to help you with your Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest ads, go to monicalouie.com slash 
WWM. We have information there about our services. And as I mentioned, I'll have all the links and resources that we mentioned today in the show notes, which you can find at monicalouis.com slash 45. And if you found this helpful, please leave a rating and review so that more people can find this podcast and subscribe so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. And next week, I've got another super special episode coming at you. So subscribe so you don't miss it. That's all for today. Take care and flourish. And I'll see you next week. 